Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. As we continue to worship, they're going to continue to meet and learn from God's Word and celebrate together. I really love that song, and I told those guys that when they were practicing the other night, um, when it's my time, when God calls me home to be in heaven, and if you come for memorial service, if you guys are still in the neighborhood, (laughs) why don't you come and lead that song and sing it and then go have lunch. There's uh, nothing else to say. Nothing else to say. That, that is an amazing, amazing song. And also, I appreciate all the music this morning, the choir number, the, uh, a little bit of, quite a bit of Hebrew in there that they learned. Uh, that was very good. You all know Hebrew, you know. Did you know that? You know the word hallelujah? That's Hebrew. Hallel means praise. Hallelu to, praise to. Yah is short for Yahweh. Praise to the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And you know amen too is Hebrew as well. So, uh, and then the song they sang, Here I Raise My Ebenezer. I'm glad you guys sang the version with that in there because that is from the Hebrew as well. Evan Etzer. Go home and look it up and uh, you'll see uh, where that's from. The Love of God was written by Frederick Lehman, California businessman, lost everything through business reverses. He was forced to spend his working hours in manual labor working at a Pasadena packing house. And He was a Christian who rejoiced in his salvation, and after Sunday evening serving on the love of God, he could hardly sleep. Next morning, uh, he started working on this song. And um, after he wrote it, he he needed a third stanza, because all the hymns had three stanzas, and he remembered a poem that someone had given him sometime before, and hunting around, he found the poem printed on a card, which he had used as a bookmark. And as Mr. Lehman read the words, his heart was thrilled by the adequate picture of God's love uh, that they pictured. And he, he noticed that this writing on the bottom of the card, quote, these words were found written on a cell wall in a prison some 200 years ago. It's not known why the prisoner was incarcerated, neither is it known if the words were original or he had heard them somewhere and decided to put them in place where he could be reminded of the greatness of God's love. Whatever the circumstances, some think it was an insane asylum that they had in those days while he was incarcerated. And he wrote them down the wall of his prison cell. In due time, he died. And the men who had the job of repainting his cell were impressed by the words. And before their paintbrushes had obliterated them, one of the men jotted them down, and they were preserved. And it turns out, as I did some more research, it actually came from the 11th century from a Jewish rabbi, Rabbi Meir, who actually penned that poem. That was the third stanza of that song. This morning, our topic is, uh, we're continuing our study on, uh, on spiritual disciplines, and our topic this morning is worship. And um, when we talk about worship, you know, this is a big topic, it's a big topic, and there's no, it'd be foolish to think in a half hour we could cover worship, okay? I understand that. I want us to talk about corporate worship, what we do when we're here together as a corporate body, as a church, and the aspects of that, what we do when we gather here, our prayer time together, our scripture reading together, our meditation, our sermon from God's Word, our singing, our music, the choir, um, these are all aspects of our worship time together. 
We've already covered teaching. Kevin uh, preached on prayer. I am going to be doing a sermon later on giving. The one I don't do that very often here, but we're going to talk about giving as part of our worship as well. So this morning, unabashedly, I would like us to talk about music in our worship service and what this, why we do this and why is this so important. I wanted to title this sermon this morning, The Music Battle, but I knew if I did, it would concern some of you and you'd be spending the whole time waiting for me to get to solving all the different uh, uh, concerns about music that have been throughout church ages. And that's not what's going to be. But you can put that away, the music battle. Think about that for a little bit. And I think you'll see when we get to the end why I thought that would be a good topic for this morning. But our focus is on corporate worship. And we're going to talk this morning about music. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather together, to lift our voices and song and our hearts and scripture, to look into your word. I thank you for each person that's here today. Each person could be somewhere else today, Lord. It's a beautiful day. I know there are many things to do. Um, some have been working many, many hours this week. Uh, but Lord, uh, they've chosen to come today. And I, and I pray your blessing upon them that each one of us would receive from your word this morning, what you would have us to receive. And I pray that your words would be heard. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Out on the, uh, in the narthex out there, where you're going to go and sign up for the, uh, the dinners on the back there, as you go out the door, if you look to the right, uh, as you walk out, you'll see a, a, a plaque that's on our building. And uh, Ephesians chapter 1-6, now I'm reading from the NIV, to the praise of his glorious grace. The verse continues, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. So the praise of his glorious grace. Three times in Ephesians chapter 1, you see this thought or this phrase in verse 12. In order that we who were the first to hope in Christ, Ephesians 1.12, might be to the praise of his glory. And verse 14, who is the deposit, that is the Holy Spirit, guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory glory. We are here to the praise of God's glory. That's why this building was built. That's why our education building, why we added the gymnasium, all, everything here that we are, are about, our goal is to be to the praise of the glory of God's grace. And it's interesting that we as a, as a Christian church, and I don't just mean our church, but I mean the Christian church, have a very rich history of what we do when we gather together in worship. And music has been a part of it all along. Uh, music is an important part of what we do as we worship God to the praise of his glory. And it's kind of interesting, when you come to the New Testament, there are not a lot of passages, there, are not a lot of there is not a lot of teaching about what the church is supposed to do when we get together. It doesn't really give us instructions about what to do. It's just sort of an assumption, this is what you do. And the reason for that, of course, is that the early Christian church had its um, historical background in, from Christ and the, and the apostles in the, in the Jewish context and culture. And much of what was done in the synagogue service was adopted into the early church of gathering for prayer, for study, for worship, uh, for music, for singing psalms, for fellowship, and encouraging for tithing and giving to support God's work. And much of that came right in from the very beginning of the early Christian church. And we have quite a rich history. But there are two passages, and we're going to look at one particularly, but I do want to note, in Paul's present epistles, there are two passages that do specifically address 
the issue of music and what we do when we gather together. In Ephesians chapter 5, and I think many of you know these passages, but this might be new for some of you, and Paul says, tells us how we ought to live and some things we shouldn't do. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 19, the Apostle Paul, and and I think you can see right away, this is corporate, this is written to a group, a body that are going to meet together. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Ephesians and Colossians have a lot of similarity, and we'll find a very similar, almost sister passage in Colossians. Just turn a few pages over, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. And in Colossians chapter 3, you'll find Paul giving some of the same advice to the church at Colossae. This was a, a real church of real people who met in a real place. They got together And he says in verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body you are called to peace and be thankful. This is written to the body, the group of believers who are gathering together, Jew and Gentile, male and female, slave and free, as Paul says, all equal basis as they come together in the body of Christ. And then Paul says this, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, And as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And I want you to notice here the connection in both passages, and especially here in Colossians, I want you to notice the connection between, verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing, and that teaching and admonishing and the dwelling of the word of Christ, I want you to notice its connection with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Why do we sing? Why do we lift our voices? Why do we listen to instruments? Why do we sing these words and contemplate them? And I want you to notice this very strong connection between worship and music and in everything we do as a response to God's Word. This is why why the preaching also is central to our worship gathering. Preaching the Bible, listening to it, meditating on it, thinking about it, is part of our worship. And the music and the psalms and hymns and spiritual songs that we sing are connected with this. And in fact, in the early church, clearly this music was used as a means of bringing God's word correctly and teaching people. You know, before the printed word, before they had, you know, today we're so spoiled, you know, in a sense we have, we have printed Bibles, we have our phones and tablets. I mean, you take the Bible everywhere with you. We have such access to it. But these people didn't have that. The New Testament is still being written. They had precious little They may not have had a copy of the Gospels yet. We don't know. They had Paul's letter to them. They had other letters that were circulating, as Paul tells them, share the letter to Laodiceans, which we don't have anymore, and exchange them. But when they gathered together to meet, when they scattered and went their way, they didn't carry a Bible home with them. They had to carry it in their head and in their hearts and anything they could have written down. But even writing things down was very expensive. 
You didn't have pencils and papers and pens, average people. You couldn't afford that. I mean, and writing was difficult. There wasn't no pencils and pens. It was quills and stone and everything else and leather and there was ink. And, uh, but, so you took it in your head. And, it was the, and, and you took it with the songs and the music that were God's word you took with you as you came to worship and you took them home with you in your head and in your heart as well. God's word is the basis for our worship of him because without his word, we wouldn't know what he wanted us to know about him and we wouldn't know about his grace and mercy, the love of God. We wouldn't know about that without his word. And so it's important for us to know God's word and we respond to God and God's word through our worship, through our music, through our offerings, through our meditations and through our prayers. God's desire is that his word dwells within us. It lives within us through the presence of the Holy Spirit, and it does so richly. You notice the emphasis here that the, that the word of Christ dwell in you, and this may literally be the spoken word of Christ that was recorded, his teachings on earth, but they also understood, the apostles did, that what was revealed to them was also the word of Christ given to the church. It was all God's word. It was all the word of Christ, the revelation. The word and revelation... In the tradition of God's people, it is central to our gathering as a faith community. Our worship is a response to his revelation and his word as we understand how much he loves us and what he has done for us. And we respond as a faith community in worship. And so Paul says here, let, and so the first thing I want you to remember, let the word of Christ, God's word, connected. Let it live in you richly, not, not poorly, but richly. Let it abound in you as we teach and admonish one another. And we do this as we sing together. And I want you to notice there's three categories here. Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Now, there has been no end to discussion and writing and commentaries about these three words. There are some who, who feel this very distinct. Hymns, Psalms and spiritual songs, that there are three very distinct categories. And they try to connect those with some of the things today with worship choruses and hymns and reciting psalms. They are distinct words, but you can't quite, there is overlap. You, you can't cut it that fine. There is an overlap of these three, and it comes from, again from the Jewish and the Greek context, the culture in which they were in. But there are some distinctive meanings to these words as they do overlap. The first one, the first word is psalms, psalms. Now we sang a psalm this morning, right out of God's word. You see, those, those who, who plan our worship services, and a lot of work goes into this. You know, they don't just show up on Sunday morning. They, they plan this, they think about it, they work on this. And when they do this, they consider the words of the songs. Are they, are they reflective of God's word? This might be a great song. This might be a fun song. Um, you know, there are places for those things. But is this, does this song really reflect God's word? Is it true? Is it accurate? Does it help us understand God and worship God in a way that is clearly what God would have us to do? And, and they work hard on that. Believe me, they do. A lot of thought goes into this. And this morning we sang a psalm. A psalm is right out of God's word. And you know, and this, the, the psalm was, was, the, was the Jews' hymn book. It was the Jews' hymn book. They sang the Psalms. It would be wonderful to know the tunes that went with the Psalms. Uh, David authored so many of them. 
it would be, it would be great to know what they sounded like. Um, a lot of Jewish music today sounds maybe like in a minor key and so on, but, but Middle Eastern music is very joyous. It's very celebratory. And, and these psalms were, there were psalms, for example, the Hallel songs, the Hallelujah psalms. They sang as they went to Jerusalem for Passover. And there were songs of rejoicing. There were songs like we sung of creating us a clean heart, a song of contemplation as David, after David sinned and came to God and penned that psalm inspired by God of, of what his confession to God. We sing these psalms. And in the early church, obviously, the early church adapted this Jewish hymnal into their meetings and, and sang the psalms from the Old Testament. And I think when it says psalms, it, it is specifically referring to the, the Hebrew psalms. There may have been some new ones written, but I think that's the main. One interesting is we, why don't you look at, at uh, Mark chapter 14 in your Bible. You'll find this in Matthew 2. Mark chapter 14. I always like to think of this passage on, as we meet for, for Good Friday, and in Mark chapter 14 and verse um, 26, this is after, um, you know, the Last Supper, what we celebrate on, on Good Friday. And as, we, as you look at this passage, they gathered, they ate, the Lord shared with them. John gives us much more information about what he said and what he taught. And when it was all over, and the Lord, in verse 24, shared the last cup of Passover and said, this is the blood of my covenant. I, I will not drink it again till I drink it new in heaven. And verse 26, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Wouldn't you, have, wouldn't you just have loved to have been there? Wouldn't you have loved to hear Jesus sing? Wouldn't it have been great to be in that room and hear Jesus and the 11 disciples Judas had left, to hear those men lift their voice and sing one of the Hallel Psalms? But it's interesting, and this is why I want to show you that, that, that why well, you can't quote it, quote it so fine, is that it says here they sang a hymn. But almost all Bible commentators agree it was one of the Psalms, because that's what you sang at Passover, were the Hallel Psalms. And so you see this kind of crossover, but yet the hymns, uh, the word psalm originally comes from the idea of to pluck. So it seems to have had the origins into pluck an instrument like David would play his lyre and so forth. The word hymn comes from the language also that, that suggests a, a hymn to God. And the Greeks had hymns to God. Other religions had hymns they sang to their gods. And in the, in the Jewish context, many of these psalms were also considered hymns. But as the Christian church began to meet, and you notice that Paul says back in Colossians, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom as you sing psalms, and hymns that the Christian church from the very beginning were writing and singing hymns to God and to Christ, to the Trinity. They were creating their own music because the Psalms were the Psalms, but they too were creating hymns that were based on Scripture. And again, many Bible commentators, as you go through the New Testament, will point this out. In fact, in your more modern translations of the Bible, you will see things like uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3 and 16 is one example. There are several examples in the New Testament. But you notice in 1 Timothy in chapter 3 and in verse 16, Paul says this, Beyond all question, the mystery of godliness is great. And you will notice that it's printed in our modern Bibles in sort of an offset, in, like it's poetry, like it's a psalm. 
And you'll see this in several places in the New Testament. And it says, He appeared in body, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, and was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. And many of the Greek scholars and the New Testament commentators strongly believe this is a part of a Christian hymn. And you will see this throughout the New Testament. When you see these passages that are oftentimes set aside like that, that the Christians were already, already writing hymns, and Paul was incorporating this into his epistle and acknowledging the truth of this. The Christians wrote hymns, and they sang the hymns to God. The third category, spiritual songs, is it's the word ode, odes. Maybe remember the ode to Billy Joel? <laughs> remember that? Okay. It's a song to someone, written to someone, and it's more of what you might think of as a song. Uh, something that is, is, not, is maybe, not, maybe not quite as deep as the, as the hymn in some, of the, in some of the language and the poetic structure. It's a song, but it's an ode. But interestingly enough, this word for, for uh, music here is actually used, for example, and I'll, let me just read this to you, in Revelation, and we come in the book of Revelation, and in chapter 15, it's this word ode, or odes, that's used here, when it says in verse, uh, in verse 3, and, and that it, the, the, well, is that John looks at this situation and he, and he sees the sea of glass and he says, they, say, they held harps given them by God and they sang the ode of Moses, the servant of God, and the ode of the Lamb. And then he gives it, great and marvelous all your deeds. Here's the ode, here's the song. Lord God Almighty, just and true are your ways. King of the ages, who will not fear you, O Lord, and bring glory to your name. For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, if, for your righteous acts have been revealed. That's an ode. That's the word that's used there. It's a spiritual song. So you take these three together, the Psalms, the hymns, and the spiritual songs, and I think if we put them together, we cover the whole spectrum of, of what we do even today in Christian music, in our music together, what they all have in common, what they all have in common is they are all based on God's word. They don't teach anything that is, is not biblical. They teach and they help explain and they relate to God's revelation. They are responses to God for his kindness and his revelation to us, his revelation of his love and grace and mercy. They are a response from the heart, through our voice and through the instruments. They are a response to God. And you notice back in Colossians that Paul, I, I like what he says here when he, when he introduces this, that we are to, that, that the word of Christ is to dwell in us richly as we sing to one another with all wisdom. We are to be wise about it. We are to be careful that the, the music that we're sharing and singing is reflective of God's word and is reflective of our genuine response and heart to God. There's a place for fun. There's a place for fun songs and so on. But as we gather in our corporate worship, friends, uh, this is a serious part of, of what we do. It's an expressive part. It's a joyous part. But it's a very serious thing that we worship God together in music and hymns and psalms and in spiritual songs giving thanks to God, and as Paul says in Ephesians, making melody in your hearts to God. 
making melody in your hearts to God. Every one of us can do this. Not all of us are singers, but we can all open our mouth and sing. You know, obviously, you know, we're all different. We have our own personal characteristics. You know, some people are more outwardly expressive. It's their characteristic. It's their nature. Others, self-included, tend to be not as outwardly expressive. If you knew me as a little kid or as a teenager even, um, uh, you know, every thought I was just really quiet. I am generally pretty quiet, you know. Um, but, but we're all different. And as, but, you know, this is the wonderful thing when we gather together. If, if, you're, if your nature is you're outwardly expressive and you enjoy that expression, you are free to do that. If, you are, if you're not as much outwardly, but inwardly you're celebrating your heart and your heart is worshiping to God, you are free to do that. We don't draw judgment on each other. We don't, you know, we talked about the, John Biker did a nice job at our conference last week and talking about this, that, that we are free to worship God, to express, but we don't need to judge each other and, and look down, you know, we are here to worship God. It is not about us. It is, and this is, I think, friends, that the biggest, the biggest challenge we face today because Paul says here, whatever you do in word or deed, do it in the name of Christ, giving thanks to God the Father. We do this as a joyous response to God. One of the challenges we face today in the Christian world is we live in a culture, let's admit it. You know, at, least we, at least we need to admit where we're at. We live in a culture today that is probably more influenced by entertainment than any culture in history. I mean, think about it. It is such a huge part of our context and our culture. And because of that, one of the dangers today when we gather as a, as a family of God is to find that, that place where what we're doing, it's not entertainment. We are not, we are not here to entertain you. And, and, I, and really, I mean, I do the same thing we all do. We all talk about how the music really moved me today. I was really you know, blessed by the music. And, and that's, that's fine and that's great. But when all is said and done, what matters is we are here to bless and praise God. It, it, this is not about me, being, me, me getting what I should get. It's about me expressing to God my worship and joining with the worship leaders and the worship team and those who've created music and written songs and, and put the work into it to help lift our voices accurately reflecting God's word to him. Pastor Kevin and those who work with our young people, this is something they're very conscious of. When our young people participate up here, they are, they are taught and they are reminded, you are not up here to entertain. This is something growing up in that age of life, you know, you're working through. This is, you're not up here to entertain. You are up here to worship and to minister. And so I want to encourage you, my friends, as we gather for worship, that whatever we do in word or deed, to the praise of his glory, and in Romans 12, 1 and 2, where Paul says, I, I learned in King James, beseech you therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, Offer yourselves uh, a, 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 as a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable service. And frankly, I think that's a better translation than the newer translation that says your spiritual worship. I understand that, but the word there really is service. It was the service done in a tabernacle and temple, and it's reasonable to, to serve God. And part of that service was worshiping God, and it's our reasonable service to respond to God in worship. When we gather together, I just want to encourage you that when we sing together, and one of the wonderful things that we have today is the ability to, you know, to put the words up there. So like when they're singing the choir song 
and special numbers or offertory, that we can see the words as they're singing. I just think that's so great. It's just such an advantage. And I want to encourage you, and I have to encourage myself, that when, when we're singing together, that we focus on it, that we really think about it, that we think, that thinking about the words of the songs, if they are reflective of, and if they are teaching Scripture, and if they are taken from Scripture, and they are true to Scripture, any of those things, this is important as what I'm doing right now with, with preaching to you. That's God's Word. And we need to take it serious, and we need to think about it. We need to be reflective, but we also need to respond in joy and to celebrate and to bring our worship to God, to meditate, to contemplate. All the things that are involved in our total being is what we do when we worship God. It's reasonable. Now, the music battle. I'm going to close the service with the music battle. You ever heard the music battle? Any of you ever heard the music battle? Well, I'll, I'll give thanks to Jews for Jesus publication last, this last week. I was reading it, and I came across this passage, and I can't remember exactly the context. Um, but I hadn't actually really paid much attention to this battle before. But if you'd like to, if you just turn your Bibles for a moment, and we're going to close with this, Second Chronicles chapter 20. Second Chronicles chapter 20, the music battle. The battle of music. Not the battle of the bands, but the battle of music. Second Chronicles chapter 20. There's a whole context here, but the context basically is pretty clear in verse 2. Jehoshaphat is the king of Israel. Jehoshaphat's a good king. He made some mistakes. He's one of the few good kings of Judah. He's a good man in the heart of, in the spirit, and the, the tradition of David. And it says that some men came in verse 2, and they told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Eden, from the other side of the sea. It's already in Hezan Tamar. And alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord to proclaim a fast in Israel. And they came together to seek help from the Lord. They came from every town in Judah to seek him. This army is, is, is coming. It's going to destroy Judah. They have no chance of beating this army in themselves. This is a vast army. And it's, it's an alliance of other nations. It's coming from the east. The people that they were spared when Israel came in the promised land. And they're coming to destroy them. And Jehoshaphat goes to God and you can read his prayer in verse 5, uh, in verse 6 and the following. He says, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are your hand. No one can withstand you. And he, and he prays and pours his, how, his heart out to God, just like David does in the Psalms, and pours, pours out his heart. Verse 12, O our God, will you not judge them? We have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do. We're at a loss. But our eyes are on you. And all the men of Judah, with their wives and children and little ones, stood there before the Lord. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehoshaphat, son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, son of Jael, so anyway, <clears throat> a Levite. And he said in verse 15, Listen, King Jehoshaphat, and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged, because of this vast army, now you know this part, for the battle is not yours, but God's. This isn't your fight. This is God's fight. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up by the pass of Zis, and you will find them at the end of the gorge, the desert of Jer Jer Jeruel. You will have no fight in this battle. You will have no fight in this battle. Take up your positions. Stand firm 
and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out and face them tomorrow. The Lord will be with you. Go out there and face that army. It's not your fight, though. But you get out there and face them. And Jehoshaphat bowed with his face to the ground. And all, Notice, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem, what? They fell down in worship before the Lord. It was a response to God's promise. It was a response to God's deliverance. And some of the Levites, the Kohathites and Korahites, stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a loud voice. Early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. Now notice this. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. After consulting the people, and here's how Jehoshaphat gets ready for his part of the battle. He appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness. And they went out at the head of the army. Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. He appointed the singers, the choirs, John Ockwell and Faith, you know, and the rest, leading the choir. They went out in front of the army. And they went out there at this battle singing to the Lord. He put them in the front. They went out singing and worshiping the Lord and, and singing to God and praising, maybe singing the Psalms of David. Give thanks to the Lord. His love endures for all. And look, here's the battle. Here's the battle of music. They began to sing and to praise the Lord. Set, and then the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah and they were defeated. The choir defeated this army. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> they went out singing, and they went out worshiping, and they went out in front, and they watched God defeat the armies of the east. And what I thought when I read this, I was reminded of Ephesians chapter 6. We are involved in a spiritual warfare, right? We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces. There is a spiritual warfare going on. If you don't believe it, open your eyes. Open your ears. There's a spiritual warfare going on. God and Satan. Good and bad. It's pretty straightforward. We are involved in it because we belong to God. And Satan is trying to defeat and destroy what belongs to God. We and our children, we are in a spiritual warfare. And it's interesting as you well know probably, that the one offensive weapon as the Apostle Paul lays out the de defenses for the spiritual armor and the spiritual battle, the one offensive weapon, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the what? Word of God. It's the Word of God. So when we leave this place today, we have come here to worship God. We have lifted our voices in music. We have lifted our hearts as others have sang the words and we shared in it that way. As we leave this place, the battle doesn't end. The battle goes on, spiritual warfare. And I want to suggest to you, friends, that as we take God's word in our hearts in the music and the psalms and the hymns and the songs that we know, and as we go out this week, it's those very songs and hymns and psalms that are based on God's word that God can use to defeat the enemy. 
just as he did in 2 Chronicles 20. When you go out this week, when you're discouraged, and you will be, when you are tempted, and you will be, when you are challenged, and you will be, when you don't know what to do, and that will happen, will you take God's word that you've memorized, and will you also take the songs and the hymns and the worship songs that we sing together, and if, if nothing else, if nothing else, this week, can you at least remember, oh, love of God, oh, love of God, how rich, how deep, how true, the love of God that God will use as we face the enemy and worship throughout this week. And we're going to close our service this morning with one more song. The team's going to come up and they're going to lead a song, The Solid Rock. This song will take you a long way this week. Let's worship together now and let's take the song with us as we live for the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as the armies of Judah went out singing before the Lord in the battle, for the battle was yours. This week, Lord, uh, this is your battle. We are here to love, to be an example of Christ's love, to share God's love in this world that so desperately needs it. And Lord, in order to do that, uh, we, we will stand on Christ, our solid rock. We go forth with that in our hearts today, and we pray that uh, the victory will be yours, and that truly the grace, mercy, love, and peace of Christ will rule in our hearts and be obvious to all that you bring before our paths this week that we can be a witness of your amazing love and your forgiveness and the joy of salvation. In Christ's name we pray, amen.